Grab your Bible. Let's go to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm just going to step right down here. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This will be our authority for tonight as we look together at a passage. And I trust um, learn something super helpful to you, and something that will benefit in the days going forward for this church, which I anticipate um, will be will do just exactly that. While you're finding your place, a couple things. Pastor Vince mentioned about people getting to sit down and take a break, and I'm glad for that. Um, Seth is just learning how to lead music, so for you all to um, allow him to do that and to sing along, I'm grateful for that. Um, we're just kind of working through learning some of the things, so like not having people stand for the entire service and things like that that, uh, that we're still learning, so I appreciate your allowing him to be a part of that. And then for allowing um, Britt to play the piano and for us to be involved in music, um, sincerely for us, it's a privilege. So we enjoy it and the opportunity to speak. Anytime I have the opportunity to preach God's word, I count it a joy. So thanks for the invitation. And then the one group of people that did not get to sit down and take a rest were those who were helping with the cooking. And there's several of you all um, were involved in making meals or doing special things. Everybody did on Sunday and then um, throughout the week. So for those of you who were specifically a part of that, thanks sincerely. Um, you, you all are busy, and you have lots going on, and uh, we have things going on during the day as well, just like you would, and for you to take time out of your schedule to do that so that we could focus a little bit more intently on what it is that we're doing here in the evenings is a big help, and we're grateful for that, so thanks very much. Um, let's see. From here, just, just so you know, before we look at the passage, from here we are headed up to Michigan in the Thumb area, a town called Davison, Michigan, and we'll be there for a Sunday through Wednesday meeting again. And so we would appreciate your prayers tomorrow. Our plan is to travel tomorrow morning um, after the frost clears and the snow melts. Then um, we'll, we'll start heading north where it's warmer. Um, We'll be there Sunday through Wednesday, and then on Thursday, we start heading down towards Brittany's home um, town, which is in Georgia, not down near Savannah. If you travel, if you travel at all or know where Savannah, Georgia would be on the coast, she's about an hour away from there is where her home, growing up home was. So we're going to go spend some time there, and we have some ministry opportunities in that area. So um, as the Lord brings us to your mind, for me, this is the way I'm built um, it would be for like a week and a half that there would be, oh, I remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. They were here um, on Sunday when you come back and you go, something's different. Oh, that's right. The Thompsons were here last week. As the Lord brings us to your mind, we would greatly appreciate your prayers for safety. Yes, and I mean that sincerely, but more specifically for opportunity and boldness to proclaim Christ and specifically in the matter of revival, that is that the hearts of the people to whom we're privileged to minister would be stirred to follow harder after Christ and to be used by Christ through His Holy Spirit to have their lives changed and then change in the lives of others. And then more specifically in the area of evangelism, that we have opportunity to share the gospel with people who need to know Jesus Christ, that is uh, calling and heart's desire. So greatly appreciate your prayers on our behalf. And we will, as the Lord brings you all to our minds, we will be praying for you. We always, um, whenever we're leaving a church, we always just stop and ask the Lord for safety and then ask the Lord to bless the church that we've just been a part of. It's all right. Hey, Isaac, all finished. All finished. Sit quietly, please. Thank you. Sorry. 
bad moment. Um, so so uh, we will be praying for you at least tomorrow. And then usually, again, the way my brain works is about the next week and a half, then um, the Lord will bring you to my mind and my heart several times. And we'll be asking the Lord to give you all opportunities for ministry and that God will, will help you to be a unified group of people pulling in one direction that the work of the ministry can be done by the saints who have been equipped as a result of our gathering together this week. Let me, can, um, I'm, I'm not your pastor, your dad. I don't have any position of um, consistent uh, influence or authority in this church, and I know that. But let me just make a suggestion, if I may, after this many years of ministry and learning a few things and knowing uh, just the how things work in people's lives. Um, I would suggest over the next couple days to take some time to write down, to just sit down and write down what you've heard this week, what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you this week and specifics and just put it on a three by five card or a piece of paper and stick it in your Bible and then every once in a while over the next couple weeks just glance at it. What, what you will find out is this. I told you, I think, at the beginning of the week, if it seems like I said it if I didn't. Um, I, don't, I just pray each service, what is, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And I don't have in my brain what messages, what passages we're going to look at all week. It's just not the way I work. Uh, so, so each service, I'm saying, Lord, what do you want? And then usually, at the end of the week, if I stop and turn around and look back, I go, oh, there's the line. There's the thread. There's the truth that, that the Holy Spirit must have wanted to get across to this body of believers. Okay, now if you just stop and think about that, that God has something specific that he wants to get across to you, and it's not a matter of my, even if I had the mental ability to do it, it wouldn't be as effective as allowing God's mind to do it, for God to lead and direct and for you to, to just stop and think through all the things will help to clarify for you what it is that God intended for you as a person, for you as a family, for you as a church family to gather, to garner, and to allow it to be added to your lives so that you can stand fast in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and grow in the way that he intended for you to. And that really is important. So that's just a, hey, Humble suggestion, would you consider that? And uh, let's, not, let's not waste any of the time that God has given to us and certainly not what he's already given to us in the past over the last um, several days that we've been together. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to jump in just, just um, to get a jump start in this. Um, anybody know what the 1 Corinthians 13 is titled? Without looking at the title of it, um, I'm looking at my Bible, see what the title says. Without looking at the title in your Bible, what would you title 1 Corinthians 13? It is the? Okay, it's the love chapter. Um, the Bible starts off in 1 Corinthians 13, verse number 1, talking about this matter of love. Verse chapter 12 ends by Paul saying, I'm going to share with you a more excellent way, something that's good. And then he talks about this matter of love. And love is dis described and a little bit defined, not perfectly defined, but it's described and it's explained and it's shown what it is and what it does and what it looks like 
And if you take time to read through the love chapter, then your heart will be challenged and you'll be blessed by it. I'm confident. What we're going to look at now is the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 13. And we're only going to look at, in the, in the next couple minutes, we're only, only going to look at the first half of the verse. So let me read for you what we'll look at in this time together, and then we'll learn what we need to. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the A part, the first part of it says this, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. Okay, let's read just that much together. So just through the semicolon, if you will, please. Let me give the reference and then jump in and read it with me. 1 Corinthians 13, 13a says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. Let's try it once more. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. Okay, Father, now um, I really do know that I need your help tonight. All is vain unless your spirit comes and takes the truths of what you have said and drives it into the hearts and minds and consciences. And I even need help in explaining this truth because the, the um, definitions almost could detract. And I don't, I, I don't have any desire to take away from your word at all. I don't want to stand in the way of this being clear but I would like to be in the way used by you to help clarify anything that needs to be clarified. And if you would use this time now in the hearts of these um, men and women and young people that have gathered together, I would be very, very grateful to you, and I know they would be as well. Father, I love you, and I thank you for yourself, and I praise you for being who you are, a God of um, love and holiness, of mercy and justice, that you were unchanging, that you have sent your Son to be the payment for our sins. So many things for which we could praise you tonight. But for the sake of looking at this passage, we're coming to you humbly as your children. And we're saying, Abba, please, we need you. So help us now, please. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask these things. Amen. Okay, um, do you remember seventh grade science class? <laughs> no, not at all. Let me, let, me, uh, let me give you the concept of what I learned in seventh grade science class that makes me want to tell you. I mean, the reason why I'm mentioning it is because it reminds me of this passage. Um, in seventh grade science class, the reason why I remember it at all is because we, we learned from a book that used a lot of pictures, a lot of illustrations. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, and for my brain, that is certainly true. If I can see something, whether it is a, a literal picture or a story explained, it helps my brain hold on to things. In seventh grade, our seventh grade science class learned about energy, and we learned the two types of energy. And the only reason why I remember this um, 20 some odd years, nope, 30 some odd years later, is because uh, of the picture that was on our textbook. Actually, the two types of energy were both, they were both illustrated in our textbook. Um, and if I remember correctly, if you open up the book, one, one was on one side and one was on the other. 
The two types of energy were these. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you the illustration, and then I'm going to ask if any of you remember the two types of energy. And if you have the same textbook I did, or if they've been using the, the pictures in every textbook for um, 175 years, then uh, you'll know what this is, all right? So the first picture was a picture of a hill, and on the top of the hill was a rock. And the rock was sitting right on the edge, right in the precipice of the hill. It wasn't actually like rolling down the hill or anything, but it was just sitting there as if it were waiting for an eight-year-old boy to come along and push it. So across the page was the same hill and the same rock, but in this picture, in this illustration, the rock was actually rolling down the hill. Does this picture sound familiar to anybody? No, not really. Okay, but do any of you happen to know what types of energy these two pictures would illustrate? The one with the rock sitting on the edge, on the precipice of the hill, waiting for somebody to come and push it. Anybody know what kind of energy that's called? You can say it out loud. Okay, potential energy, stored energy. So I, I will tell you that when I use this illustration and talk about this, I sometimes wonder if this many years later if there are other kinds of energy or if they've changed the terms because that does happen sometimes. So potential energy, that is, this is what could be. And then across the page with the rock rolling down the hill, here's the one that's a little bit different word that if you don't use it regularly, you might not remember it. Anybody happen to remember what this one's called? It is, wow, not kinetic cut, but kinetic energy. So the difference between um, what could be, because there's not actually, with the rock on the hill, there's not actually energy being produced, but there is the potential for the energy to be produced. And then across the page, there's the rock rolling down the hill. And in this illustration, there's actually energy being produced. And so it's kinetic. It's happening. Now, the reason why this verse makes me think of those types of energy are because, in essence, when Paul writes a letter to the different churches, he is writing to them for the purpose. I mean, just generally, in the epistles he wrote. He is writing to them consistently and certainly in 1 Corinthians, this letter, first letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. He is writing to them, trying to instruct them to the point where he is saying, in essence, hey, you guys have all kinds of potential about what God could do through your lives individually and as a corporate body. All kinds of things that could happen, but that's not what changes anything. Potential is great. But most of us have lived long enough to know that potential is cheap. Everybody's got it. Well, somebody says, no, there are some people with more potential than others. No, there are some people with different kinds of potential than others. But everybody's got potential. Potential is not, okay, catch it, please. Potential is not what impacts What makes a difference is what is kinetic, what is happening, not what could happen, but what is happening. Pastor, I should know this. How long have you all been in this building? Okay, so almost, let's see, we're in 22, yeah, so two years basically, just, just over two years. Okay, so we're at the two-year mark. In a building, 
Hey, oh man, with a building now, all kinds of potential, right? But potential's cheap. Potential is not what impacts the society in which we live. It's one of those things where, okay, all right, all right, all right. Potential is fine when you're talking about an eight-year-old kid. I'm 43 now. Do you know what people don't look at me and say? Wow, look at all that potential. <laughs> if I don't have it yet, I ain't going to get it. If I'm not already what I should be or tracking in that direction pretty hardcore, then people aren't going, well, just wait. Just wait a little longer. Maybe he'll change. Maybe his potential will catch up with him. Now, can God do something with a 43-year-old person? Absolutely. That's not the point. Can God, um, can God work at a church that's been in a building for two years where, where the thought has been, oh, wow, all kinds of potential now that we have? Well, yeah, absolutely. But at some point, we've got to move past the potential to what is actually taking place. Now, Paul writes a letter to a church who's full of potential, but he's saying in essence to them in all of his writing, potential is cheap. Let me explain to you what you need to know in order, in order to be actually impacting, in order to be kinetic. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where we just read, he summarizes what the whole matter is. That is, what everything put together, he says in essence, let me give you three words let me give you three concepts, three truths, three elements that have to be in your life, in your family, in your church, if you're going to be kinetic instead of potential. Thank God for the potential of this church. Thank God for the potential of your family. Thank God for your individual potential. Age doesn't matter. All kinds of potential. But friends... If you want to kinetically be used by God, if you want to move from what should be to what is, from what could be to what's happening, then in your life, in your family, in your church, three things have to be there. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. Let's start with faith. Okay. This makes sense if you just stop and think about it for a second. But since you haven't had an opportunity today to study on this, and I have, let me uh, lead us thinking about it. In order for me to move from potentially being used by God to kinetically being used by God, in my life has to be faith. Okay, now the most obvious application of this is the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to become a child of God. Obviously, I cannot kinetically be used by God unless I am myself a child of God. And I don't know the hearts of the people that are here. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. But if your faith, if your dependence is on yourself or in your background, in your past, in your giving, in your baptism, in your sprinkling, and in anything besides Christ for your standing before God, then you need to come to the place where you put your trust in Christ, your dependence on Christ and Christ alone for the salvation of your soul. But faith doesn't stop at trusting Christ for salvation. Listen to me. Faith starts at trusting Christ for salvation. But that faith 
is something that's supposed to be a continual part of my life. I, the object of my faith remains the same. That is, I continue to believe what God says is so. That's what faith is. Believing what God says is so and depending on him to do what he says he'll do, that's what you did with Christ. You believe that what God said was so about Christ. He's the son of God. His death was enough to pay for your sins that if you trust him, God would save you. You put your faith. You trusted that what God said was so. You depended on him to do what he said he would do. Now, the same thing continues then throughout life. Look, if you and I are going to ever be kinetically used by God, then we have to believe what God says is so and trust God to do what he says he will do. Now, all that sounds good and fine and good preaching until, now listen, until faith grows teeth. Meaning, until faith, trusting in what God says is so and depending on him to do what he says he'll do, until that pushes me outside of my comfort zone. Because at the moment I'm pushed outside of my comfort zone, that's when there's a faith that I can't touch. I mean, it's a substance, but it's things that's hoped for. It's what I see, but I can't see it. For instance, God gives us instruction about, uh, about all things about all things in our life. He leads us by His Word and by His Spirit. And His Spirit will never disagree with His Word, but the Spirit of God will oftentimes, most often, use the Word of God to show us what it is that God wants us to do. And that's when we step out in faith, trusting that God will do what He wants us to do. For instance, um, the Bible says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, um, running over, um, men shall give into your bosom. In other words, if I am a giver, God will see to it that I'm taken care of. Okay, now please, um, we've, we've been together all week, so I hope you know this. This has nothing to do with you to me. This is, this is giving to God. That's what this is about. So I'm to be a giver. Specifically, the Bible gives some specifics about where and how I'm supposed to give. Certainly um, to the ministry of this church and the reaching out of, the, of this church to those who are in need the people that you would know, even those who, uh, even those who haven't earned from you the right to be receiving from you, but when the Holy Spirit of God directs you regarding it, when you give, you're trusting God that He will take care of providing for you. For some of you, that's an easy step because you're by nature built that way or you've seen God work that way enough times that, um, yeah, I, I can trust God about that. I can step out of the boat about that. Yeah, God says give, absolutely. If the Holy Spirit of God shows me that I ought to, yep, that's what I'm going to do. For some of you, where the numbers all have to match up and everything has to be taken care of in my mind, after all, God helps those that helps themselves. And God doesn't want us to be unwise. All of that may be true. But don't blame God for a lack of faith in God. Meaning, when God moves in your heart about something, faith says, I trust you. I believe that what you say is so. And I trust you that you will do exactly what you say you'll do. So for some of you, it would be pretty difficult. 
faith would have teeth. Okay, how about, um, how about sharing the gospel with people? Does, does, God, does God, in his word, does he give any instruction about sharing the gospel? Then we look at the Great Commission. You see Acts 1.8. You see the plan and purpose of God and our being a representative of, of the Almighty God and His plan of salvation. Our families are supposed to be a picture of it. Our lives are supposed to be a picture of it. We're not supposed to stand in the way of people coming to faith and we're supposed to be ready to give an answer. All of this is the plan and purpose of God. And Christ said, when you do this, I'm going to be with you so that if I'm going to act in faith, then I've got to step past. And for some of us, this is so uncomfortable. This is, this is Peter in the boat when the Lord says, Come to me on the water, and you got to step out past your comfort zone. Faith has teeth to it. And for some of you, man, the Holy Spirit of God, using the Word of God, has at times touched your heart about sharing the gospel with somebody. You've done it with me, and I've gone, but, uh, what if they ask a question? What if I... Okay, where's my trust? Well, it's on me. Okay, listen. You will never, I will never be able to be kinetically used by God until I am willing to abandon self-control, self-trust, uh, and allow God to be in control and trust God completely. And what he says, step forward. I believe that what God says is so. I trust God to do what he says he will do. So you want to move from potentially being used by God to kinetically used by God, you, you have to have in your life faith. Now let me just kind of give you an aside, a quick aside. If you want to build your faith, you want to know what the best ways to do it is? It's by being in the Word. Because as you're in the Word, you're going to read. If you, if, you, if you read with the purpose of learning of Christ from God, and you're reading, asking God to build your faith, you're going to see things that are going to start to give you confidence. Not self-confidence, but confidence in the one you're trusting. <laughs> you remember in, I think it's in Matthew, maybe in several of the Gospels, maybe Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I, I, I don't know right off the top of my head. But in Matthew specifically, if you read about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see miracle after miracle that Christ did. Healing, healing the lame and the blind, those who couldn't speak, touching their tongues so they could speak, the deaf. We, we read about his raising people back to life, healing people that he wasn't even within proximity. The Lord Jesus did all this. And then he goes to his hometown. And what happens? Almost nothing. Why? They didn't believe. They didn't believe. Because for those that believe, all things are possible. But it takes a matter of being confident in the one that can do it. 
in the one who's made the promises, in the one who has laid out the plan, and we step forward in faith if we're ever going to be kinetically used by God. Okay, secondly, the Bible says, if you want to be used by God, there's got to be hope. So uh, now abide, faith, hope, charity. So hope, um, okay, I think probably everybody knows this, but especially for the kiddos, in case you haven't heard this yet, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about like, oh, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I get a pony for Christmas. Um, it's not cross the fingers and squint one eye and twist their tongue and look and see if I hope, I hope, I hope. When the Bible talks about hope, the idea of hope is um, a, a confidence regarding what has not yet arrived, but you can see that it's coming. Think um, light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, here's, here's an illustration that sometimes helps me get the feeling of hope. Do you all remember uh, in, in the media, this would have been several years ago, and maybe some more recent that I'm not aware of, when miners have been deep in the ground and they've had cave-ins and then they've worked at getting the miners back out. In some cases, I think it's almost a mile down in. I mean, like a long ways down in. So just, just picture, imagine that we are miners, and we're working a half a mile down in the ground, and there's an explosion and a cave-in, and we are left in a cavern about you know, the size of this church building with tunnels going in different directions. And so after all the dust settles from the cave-in, we start sending out parties. You know, there's 20 of us. So we send out people in different directions on these caves to see if there's any way, or, or the, the tunnels rather, and see if there's any way to get out. And everybody comes back and says, you know, everything's caved in. There's no, there's no, way, we can, there's no way we can get out. So we have some food and we think to ourselves, well, certainly they'll come searching for us. They'll come looking for us. And, our, and, and we're hopeful day one. Day two, food's running a little bit low. Getting a little bit nervous. By day three, the size of the cavern has provided for us oxygen, but it almost sent, I mean, it almost feels like it's even getting a little harder to breathe. And so basically, we all come to the conclusion, without even anyone having to say it, We're not going to make it. So some people look for something to write with and write on, and they scratch out letters to family just in case we're ever found. And then, again, with no one even having to say it, we just sit in a circle and kind of wait to, wait to die. And as we're sitting there, no one's saying anything. We all, at the same time, hear the sound of a drill bit making its way through the earth directly over our heads. And we all look up just in time to see that massive bit poke through the ceiling of the cavern where we sit. And we all go, oh. okay, that oh, is hope. 
It's not that we have been rescued yet, but it's as good as done. Because we can see the light. We see it coming. And, ah. Okay. That's what we have in Christ. You say, about what? Yes. Eternity. Well, yes. But everything between now and eternity. What is there that we can face that God does not know and God cannot handle? It is true that as believers, even believers following the Lord, that we may go through things that rip our hearts apart. We're dealing in a broken world and we're dealing with people who we're concerned for, who are making bad choices, and we know where those paths lead and our hearts can break and we can see the world around us and our society and our nation and go, oh man, this is this is horrible. But in the midst of all of it, even to the degree where our hearts tear in two and tears stream down our face, in the midst of all that, we know that we serve a God who knows what is happening and cares for his children and will provide for his children so that in the midst of tears, our hearts can live with <sighs> Do you know how blessed that is? Were any of you saved later in life so that you lived for time without that hope? Or some who have been saved but you spent part of your life forgetting about the sovereign God who is over all and can take care of everything and you went into despair but we don't have to despair and did you know that when we like David tell our souls hope thou in God that it is our hope, now catch this, that allows our faith to shine out to other people. The faith is inward. The hope is what shines out our faith. In fact, the Bible says this, be ready to give an answer regarding the... Huh. Not even the faith that lies within you. Why? Because people don't see the faith. What they see is the hope in the midst of trials, which is connected to your faith. But the hope is the light that shines from the faith. Faith is our foundation. Faith is the beginning. But it is our hope that shines out. Huh. So, so that, friend, if you're not living with the realization of hope, if your life is wringing hands and turned stomach, chewing on nails and worried and concerned, what that usually means is my soul 
hope thou in God. I almost preached tonight from Psalm 46.10. It's one of, it's what I refer to as my soul passage. It's probably had more impact, well, between that and Matthew 22. It's had, those two passages have had so much impact on my life. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know. I'm God. And the idea is that as I think on God, it's not a matter of hoping in hope. It's hoping in God. So that when my mind is stayed upon Jehovah, huh, well, that's when hearts are fully blessed. Finding, as He promised, perfect peace and rest hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand. Never folk can follow, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care. Not a blast of hurry. Touch the spirit there because I'm stayed upon Jehovah. Do you see the value of hope? Hope is not a throwaway item. Hope is not a blessed thing for when we think about the glories of heaven and when we die, we have heaven to look forward to and save your fork because something better is coming. I'm all for all of that, but I'm telling you, hope is a real part of the kinetic Christian life. In fact, Paul says here, if you want to move from potential to kinetic, then in your life has to be faith, in your life has to be hope, and then lastly, um, charity. Faith, hope, and charity. Okay, now help me. Um, the, the word we commonly use for the word charity is? Okay, now have you ever tried to define um, a word like love? I mean, in your mind, have you ever tried to define it? Defining love is one of those, is one, it's one of those words that when you try to define it, you go, no, that doesn't quite match. No, that's not all of it. Well, there's a nuance to it. And sometimes in trying to define words like that, you can actually strip away the meaning of it, of, of what's understood about it. Like there may be words that you can use to define love, but it doesn't hold all of, all of everything. Um, let, let me give you the definition that I use that I already recognize is inadequate for what love fully is, but it at least has as a part of it, a major part of what love is. So love is a desire that drives me to do what is right or best by someone else. Love is a desire that drives me to do what is right or best by someone else. Obviously, the only way that I can love other people is if um, Christ is the one who initiates that love in me. If, 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 if I don't trust God, then I can't live by faith. That is, if I don't believe God, if I'm not founded on God, I cannot live by faith. If I self Trust, I'm not going to be able to have hope. And if my dependence is on my ability to do all the works of Christianity thinking, I will make kinetic happen. 
I will, I will make myself give. I will make myself share the gospel. I will make myself love other people. Oh, friend, you're going to wholly come up short every time in all three of those. Love certainly is the case because there's no way for me to uh, properly love other people without, coming, without God giving me the love first. But... Do you remember Ephesians 4, 22, 23, and 24? Put off, be renewed, put on. And the be renewed part being Christ being formed in us. That is, that the Holy Spirit of God is renovating the way that I think and the desires that I have so that I can be like Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ love? Did he have a desire that drove him to do what is right or best by other people? Absolutely. So that that's the work of God in me. That's what Christ will do in me when I open myself to it, when I ask, when I invite, that I can, I can have His working in me that drives me to do what is right or best by someone else. But I will tell you that it's also important to understand that love is not just the desire. It's the desire that drives me to do what is right or best by other people. Meaning, catch this please, love is active, love is not passive. Sometimes I think to myself, and I think maybe other people think the same thing. I think, well, I don't hate that person, therefore I love them. Well, that's not the way it works. Love is a desire that drives me to do what's right or best by someone. Love has activeness to it. Love is demonstrated in the things that we do. And here's the... Here's the Here's the thing about this progression. These elements that have to be in our life if we're going to move from potential to kinetic Christianity. Faith is the foundation upon which my, my relationship and my walk is built. Hope is the light that shines out from my faith. Let other people know, I believe God. And when everyone else is chewing their nails, I can rest. And when things aren't going my way, and if you were in my shoes, you'd be scared. You'd be, you'd be under this stress. But I can remain calm, not in my own strength, but because I hope in God. It shines as a light. Okay. But love is the catalyst. Here's a good scientific word for you. It's the catalyst that allows the faith and hope that I have to touch the people that are around me. Mistakenly, some Christians, mistakenly, some Christians think, hey, we're saved out of the world. That means draw a circle and keep anything and everyone out that is not godly. The kingdom of God is not outward. It's inward. So that I may not allow other things outside of what is right and other people to have influence on me on the inside. But my life and this church and your 
families are supposed to allow your faith and hope to take action in purposefully reaching out to people who need someone who has a desire that drives them to do what is right or best for that person. Now, when you do what is right or best by a person, it doesn't always mean you give that person what they want. Correct? Think kiddos. I have four boys. If given the choice between Raisin Bran and Snickers for breakfast, which, four boys, which would they choose? <laughs> Pastor Vince would. <laughs> Snickers would be the choice. So let me ask you a question. As a dad, do I want to give them what they want? No. Absolutely. What stops me from allowing them to regularly have Snickers for breakfast? Caveat. What stops me from regularly allowing them to have Snickers for breakfast? What is it? It's a desire that drives me to do what's right or best. So love is not a me giving them a license. Okay, so some of you, again, forgive me. I, I don't know everyone's situation. So if this touch is very, very close, I don't know. I, I do know a, a few that would, this would fall into, but that's not the reason why I'm saying it. Okay, some of you have loved ones that... Um, aren't going in the right direction, aren't doing right. Is love, ah, well, I give them license. I acquiesce to whatever they want to do, even though it's bad for them. Nope. Nope. But love is a desire that drives me to do what's right or best. And I will tell you, a God-given love affects your attitude in dealing with those who are doing wrong. It's, it's, it's not a matter of angrily um, showing them the holiness of God, but truth in love. Now, when it comes to people who don't know God at all, a couple things, just think through this. Don't ever be surprised when lost people act lost. If, if this church is going to effectively be kinetic Christianity, then it means you're going to purposely reach out to people who need the gospel. And if they need the gospel, what do you know about them? They're sinners. And if they're sinners, guess what sinners do? Exactly. So that I'm going to be reaching out and touching people who don't believe the same thing I believe. But you will forever be a rock on top of the hill if you're not with Christ's love in your heart doing the reaching out. 
and talking about it's not the same thing as doing it. If nothing ever changes, then nothing ever changes. And I'm not saying that you're not. What I'm saying is it doesn't, just discussing it doesn't make it happen. And I'm pretty confident that God gives each person here opportunities. At least if we're looking for them and asking for them. It doesn't mean sometimes confrontation. Yes, it does. But the whole way that I give it when I love them like Christ loves them, my whole attitude towards it changes. Huh. Huh. So the question then is, um, you're already full of potential. All kinds of potential about what God could do through you. I mean, look at the great building God's provided. The property, the people, you have a pastor, you have, for a church your size, you have musicians. Whoa, all kinds of potential. <laughs> Take this in context. It's a big boulder. But the impact is only as impactful when there's kinetic Christianity going on. Okay. My, my, my parents, my dad was my pastor for a lot of my growing up years. If you, if you met my mom and dad, they're, they're now almost 80. If you met my mom and dad, um, you would look at my dad and go, oh, I see where Tim gets his looks. I mean, there's some similarities in looks and things. But um, my, my dad, while he was a pastor, was not at all a uh, gifted at speaking. Uh, dad, dad would never be invited to speak at conferences. It's just not, he was a Bible student, but as far as being an orator that held people on the edge of their seats, it just, it just honestly, I, honestly, it's just not dad. My, my mom, pastor's wife, was not the, um, let's see if, see if I use the word right, quintessential, did I say it right? Sure, quintessential pastor's wife. That is, it, you didn't, like if she walked into the room, um, you wouldn't go, I can tell. She's a pastor. Oh man, I can tell that right away. Mom, if mom were visiting us and uh, she came in on a Saturday and she was going to come to our church, come with you all to church on Sunday, and she remembered, ah, I forgot my church shoes to go with my dress. My mom would not have a problem with throwing on her black sneakers to uh, go along. And if you're wearing a dress and some black sneakers, no problem to me. My mom would do the same thing. But, but here's, something, here's something about my mom and dad. Um, my mom and dad absolutely, and I mean this, mom and dad absolutely love people. If mom came in, mom and dad came in on Sunday, within three minutes... Within three minutes, my mom would find the most unlovely person, the hardest to love person in the auditorium, and she'd be sitting by him. Just like she can, she can find him. Some may say birds of a feather, but um, I wouldn't say that about my mom. She, just, she would just find him, and she'd sit by him and just spend time. It didn't matter what they look like, how they smell. Uh, mom would just find him. Now, if my parents ever visit and she sits by you, don't be offended. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but mom, mom can. Um, my dad, 
Well, my mom and dad went through some pretty hard things with some of the churches. Dad pastored several smaller churches. And one in particular, dad took a stand for something that was right. And a church that had been established for a hundred years, some of the members, a good number of the members, took issue with it. And in a church meeting where I was asked to leave because I was under 16, they tore my dad to shreds. I mean, up one side and down the other. But it was years before I knew about it. Because when mom and dad came home that night, of course, dad was hurt. But within a week and a half, we were at the farm of the person about who this was all about for no other reason than just to visit and love on them. Humanly speaking, humanly speaking, the reason why I'm in the ministry today is not because of the eloquence of Larry Thompson or the great abilities of Judy Thompson. But humanly speaking, one of the major reasons why I'm in the ministry today is because of the love. My mom and dad could travel from Michigan, where we're originally from, down to Florida, where they now live, and in almost every state along the way. Stay with people in whose lives they have had major impact, and it's not because of ability. It was because of love. Okay. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. Oh, and by the way, the greatest of these? Huh. Yeah, yeah. See, we pride ourselves on being people of faith. We know what the Bible says. Doctrinally, we're sound. We remind ourselves of hope. But let's not lose sight of the importance of sharing and showing the love of Jesus Christ purposefully, actively. God help us. Help us, please, to have the heart of your Son um, shining through, renovating us, to move us from self-centered, selfish, um, don't enter our space attitudes. Help me and us, O oh Lord, to purposefully and actively reach out and to share and show your love. And oh God, I pray that you would allow this church Bible Pathways Baptist Church, to have an impact in this community and in the workplaces represented and in the neighborhoods represented because there's a group of people who have faith, who display hope, and they have at their fingertips, because of what you've done in them, a love that reaches out past themselves. Not just for one another, but for people outside these walls who believe different, 
physically look different. God help. I ask this, Father, for your glory and because I believe it is your will. And in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now I wonder who tonight, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would say by an uplifted hand, Brother 